worries. No rush. I hope everybody's doing well. <laughs> Facebook's good to go? Awesome. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I know we just prayed, and John already prayed for today, but I really I really want to commit this time to prayer because that's the most important thing I can do before I speak, so I want to do that. Lord of God, we give you thanks that this morning we can come before you. We can look into your word, your holy word, Lord, which is forever. It will never fade away. Lord, I pray as we look into it, that you will reveal through your Holy Spirit the truth that we need to hear this morning, the truth about your Son and who He is. May we grow in a deeper appreciation today of how great you are and all that you have done on our behalf and what you are still going to do. Lord, may you use me, put aside my pride, Lord, and may you be glorified this morning in all that is said and done. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I have the privilege today of speaking on one of my favorite people in Scripture. Actually, my favorite person in Scripture. No, it's not Daniel. It's Jesus. Um, and not on top of that, I get to talk about Jesus. I get to talk about one of my favorite things to study in Scripture. And it's the pictures and types of Jesus in the Old Testament. See, I just love how God, and this is what I love like discovering, all the intricacies that God has put into Scripture... To picture a paint, to, to paint a picture of who his son is, what he's like, and what he'll do. And in the Old Testament, all these things were hidden to these people. They didn't know all the intricacies and ins and outs and the details that God would write about his son in predicting what he would be like. And now we have the opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit to see these cool things. And it just blows my mind when I, every time I find something new, I'm like, man, I never saw it before. That's just cool. God, you put that. You wrote that down thousands of years before your son even stepped foot on the planet. Like, you really do know everything. You really do know the future. You really know what's going to happen. And he's put so many things in the place that we can look back at, yeah, God said that, look, it happened. Oh, God said it would be like this, and it was just like that. And today we're going to look at something that God's saying that's still going to happen. And since he's been correct every single time in history past, what do you think is going to happen in the future? He's going to be correct once again. No water. If I get someone brought me up some water, please, in this minute, that'd be appreciated. All right. Daniel chapter 2. Add image of the statue when you get a chance, please, too. Thanks, Josh. Just chuck it. Oh, very good. All right, Daniel chapter 2. We're just going to recap again. There we go. There's the image of the statue. We'll leave it up there for a little while. Uh, verse 31 in chapter 2. We're just recapping a little bit again. You looked, O king, and there stood before you a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. His head of the statue was made of pure gold, his chest and his arms of silver, his belly of uh, thighs of bronze, and his legs of iron, his feet partially of iron and clay, uh, baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on his feet of iron, 
and clay and smashed them. The iron, the clay, and the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces uh, at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But that rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Now my portion that we're supposed to look at today is verse 40. So now we see again the image of the statue. And Daniel goes on to again, we looked at this last week with James, is what does each level represent? The different nations that would rise up afterwards, right? Uh, verse uh, we can start at 39. And after you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom of bronze will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, it will be crushed and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partially of baked clay and partially of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it. Even as you saw iron mixed with clay, as the toes were partially iron and partially clay, so the kingdoms will be partially strong and partially brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture. It will not remain united any more than the iron mixes with the clay. And in the time of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will, sorry, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will endure, it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Amen. Crazy dream. A lot going on there. And we looked at how the head of gold was Babylon, how the chest of silver was the Medes and the Persians, the uh, belly and the thighs right, were made of brass representing Greece. Uh, then you had the legs of iron. Rome, right? Rome ruled with an iron sword. Then we got down to the bottom. Interesting. It does not mention a fourth kingdom, right? We read through, it says, sorry, it says the fourth kingdom after you, right, will be like legs of iron. But it doesn't say the fifth. Does it ever say the fifth kingdom after you? No. There's no mention of the fifth kingdom. It's sort of just more like a like an outgrowth, a redevelopment of the Roman Empire. It's like the Roman Empire never fully left. It just kind of morphed into something else. Um, at the time, Roman Empire what controlled what all of Europe, basically, right? I, I, I don't know definitively, right? Nor does anyone know definitively what the, hand, the toes are really like, what the feet and the toes are really like. But my interpretation of it is this. Look at the nations today. Europe, North America. We are divided, unique nations. However, do we have some similarities that are still based off of Roman ideologies? Well, 
uh, when you think about it, a lot of our architecture throughout Europe and even here in America, um, our engineering and our designs of roads and bridges are based off of what the Romans came up with, right? Uh, even on top of that, our language and anybody in my field, mathematics, right? Romans, it, it, it all comes from them. Our politics, interesting, our politics, the republic, right? The voice of the people. That's kind of what we're based on today, isn't it? And on top of that, moreover, what is the overarching, most common religion found in Europe and even here in North America? The Roman Catholic Church, right? The Roman, you know, nation never disappeared. It's still out there. Its inner line workings are still out there. So you can kind of look at the EU, the United Nations are a group of nations who are all unique, all different, all different digits, but they all have common theologies, common you know, threads inside of them working together. They all have a desire to benefit their people, that their people have the voice in their nations. But they all do it a little bit differently, right? They're all independent. Um, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, that's just you know my, my view of it. So... Let's take, a, let's take a look at the stone. All right, so that's my vision of... Oh, it's going. It's okay. That was my interpretation and what I've researched in the statue and what it represents. Now let's talk about the coolest part. The stone. The stone. Verse 45. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain not by human hands, and a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So, what do we notice about this rock? Well, first thing, where does the rock come from? What is the origins of the rock? It's kind of supernatural, right? It's not made of human hands, and it comes from a mountain. Now again, uh, I don't see this specifically written in Scripture, but just my guy just is like this is kind of cool, and I just want to share it with you. So again, I'm not speaking on dogmatically, but uh, mountains, all right, throughout time are what they're they're mighty, they're strong, they're firm, they're eternal, they provide protection, right? Uh, we see in Psalm chapter two, I have installed my King on Zion, my holy. Mountain. I call out to the Lord, and He answers me from His holy mountain. Psalm 36, Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, and your justice like the great deep. You, O Lord, preserve both people and animals. In Psalm 48, Great is the Lord, and most worthy of His praise, in the city of our God, His holy mountain. I, I couldn't help think, just, just picturing for me, that the mountain is sort of like the great Godhead. You know, it is firm, it is secure, it's eternal, it's huge. And then out comes this stone. Now, if we were to examine the stone that comes out from the mountain, what would we notice about it? Say we did a chemical analysis on the stone. Maybe we, we looked at the uh, uh, radioactive decay of certain components in the mountain. What, what if we looked at Every little aspect, if we dissected the rock, what would we notice about this stone? 
it had the same composition as the mountain. Would there be anything different about the stone than the mountain? No, it's the same thing, coming from the same place, just a piece of it. I, I, I couldn't help think that the stone was sent out from the mountain as a representative of the mountain itself. You know? Jesus Christ, we know, is the Word of God, in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. And he came as a representative of his Father in the Godhead to this earth. I couldn't help just, to me, just that picture is just beautiful, that the mound sent just a portion, just a perfect part of itself out. And we know in Scripture that when we look at the Son, Jesus says, when you look at me, you see the Father. I and the Father are one. When we dissect Jesus and we look at his chemical composition, everything about Jesus is the same as the Godhead, his Father. It's He's all there. He's all God. In Him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. And He was sent out as a representative to earth to display God's... Well, He came fortunately the first time, right? In peace. To share God's love with the earth. To share God's plan of salvation to the earth. A time is coming though when He's going to come down on behalf of the Godhead in judgment. I don't know, to me that was just, just a, a beautiful picture. Now, when we look at the stone also, what was the stone, how was the stone made? It was not made of human hands. Did humans have any part in designing and making and fabricating and bringing that stone to being? Nothing. I, again, I, I couldn't help but just see the parallelism. How was Jesus Christ born? Did man have any part of the birth of Jesus Christ? It was a supernatural birth, wasn't it? Yes, sure, Mary carried Jesus, right? But everything about the conception of Jesus was done through God, the Holy Spirit. Not made of human hands. Again, just to me, it was just a beautiful picture and type of what Jesus would be like in the future. John read this morning, Isaiah 28. So this is what the Lord God says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a test stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will never be shaken. See, this is something that, see, God says, the Lord God says, see, I lay. This is something that I, God the Father, am doing. No humans have part in this. I put forth a plan, and I will follow that plan through. And you human beings are not going to have any involvement in it because I'm going to see it through. I'm going to do it all. And I'm going to complete it. And it's going to be done perfectly. It's something that I'm going to institute and I'm going to do. And my son is going to come and I'm going to do it. Now when, in verse you know, 34 to 35, when you were watching a rock was cut out not by human hands. It struck the statue on the feet of the iron and the clay and smashed them. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff 
on the threshing floor in the summer, and the wind swept them away. When, or has this already happened? Looking at Daniel's time, when did this event happen, or when is it going to happen? Has this event already happened? There's a first question. Has this event of the stone crushing the statue, crushing the nations, already happened? Well, some would say that when Jesus Christ came and died at the cross, that's when this event happened. Well, okay, let's just let's analyze that for a second. When Jesus Christ came, did he defeat his enemies at the cross? Well, he did defeat Satan. He did defeat sin, right? And the power that sin had over us and provided a way of salvation for us. But did he crush the nations? All the peoples of the earth and the kings and the rulers. Like, did, did, did that happen yet? I don't think so. Now, spiritually, you could kind of make a, a, a tie over, right? That when we just talked about Jesus came and uh, he did conquer. He did defeat. He did destroy Satan and the power of death over us, right? So, symbolically, spiritually, you could kind of make that reference. But I think it's talking about a literal, physical event here when Jesus is going to come and he's going to strike the nations literally, and it's going to be devastation to the world. That event has not happened yet. When will that event happen? Well, we can look at 1 Corinthians. All right, 1 Corinthians 15. You know, I'll just read it for you guys. Um, but each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to him. At the end, at the end, talking about the end of time, will come when, his, when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. Again, I don't think that event's happened yet. Uh, how do we know when this event is going to happen? Hmm. Interesting. Well, we've looked at in the image, right? We had the head that was gold, right? It was a monarchy. One king ruled everything. Uh, then we had the, uh, I can't even say it right, oligarchy, all right? It was a small group of nobles that were in charge of the, the uh a small group of, sorry, nobles, leadership that was overseeing all the rules of the land. Then you had the imperialistic, the Romans, right? And they governed, sorry, they governed by policies. And now we have a democratic society where, you know, we're all voting as representatives. We all, we the people have the voice. Now, it's, it's interesting that the foundation, right, at, at the base of the statue, what do you have? You have the feet, right? The feet are supposed to be the foundation, the strongest part, right? The thing that holds you secure. Right? If, if you take the feet out of someone, it tumbles down. Over the years, man has always been trying to make a better form of government, right? And that's what James went to allude to last week, is that each style, each uh, section, each nation on the statue represents a lower form of government in, God, sorry, in God's eyes, because you're giving more and more power to the People, but in man's eyes, in our eyes, what is the ultimate form of government? The democracy, right? Where we, the people, get to elect our leaders, we get to have stay in what we want our nation to become. That is like the highest form of government in the form of man's eyes. We've reached the top, guys. We've made the best 
government possible? How do we know that? Well, I mean, look at just even our own nation. What is the first sentence in our Constitution? We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. See, guys, we can make a better nation ourselves. Again, listen, I, I love America. I love our nation. But that right there is the, the best that man can do, isn't it? See, the wisdom of man is the foolishness of God. See, we don't need God. We can make it better on our own. See, that, that's, I love being an educator. But one of the underlying falsities in the world of teacherdom is that, you know what? I can educate the next generation and we can make a better world. We can get rid of injustices. We can get rid of poverty. We can fix all the problems. No, we can't. Don't, don't you know what Scripture says? It's going to get worse. Not better. Now, yeah, I'm all for educating people. It's great. It's, it's an important thing. But to think that we ourselves as people can make a better future for ourselves is not going to happen. Look at Babylon. Look, look at the, the, the Tower of Babel, right? That didn't end so well. We'll make a better future for ourselves. Look how great we can be. And pff, all it went. Without the Lord as the head, things don't get better. We can't do it. We are fallen people. We are selfish. We are prideful. We have sin. Every desire within us is evil at its core. All forms of government designed by man, the age of the Gentiles will end. The stone will come. And Jesus Christ will come. And he will crush every form of government every form of kingdom in the world. And he will set up a new one. How do we know that? Well, it's said it pretty clearly right here, right? The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future, right? And where am I going to? But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. All right. And we also read, it will crush all the kingdoms and bring it to an end, and it will be itself an enduring kingdom. See, Jesus Christ is going to get a, swipe the page, we're starting over here, and I'm going to come on the scene, and I'm going to rule. It's going to be a theocracy. God in charge. Only one in leadership. And he is going to rule everything. If anything gets in his way, it's going to get crushed. It's going to get broken. How do we know that? Matthew 21. Jesus talks about this very reference of him crushing and destroying the nations. Therefore I tell you that a kingdom of God, sorry, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls on will be crushed. The stone came Hit the, did the stone hit the whole statue? No, it just hit the feet. I, see, I never understood this, this scripture in, in Matthew where, where Jesus says that anybody who the stone falls on is going to crush. I'm like, okay, I got that. 
If the stone hits me, it's going to crush me. But everybody who falls on top, if I trip on the stone, it's a stumbling block. I'm going to be wiped out and put to powder. Because Jesus here was referring back to Daniel's vision here, where the statue, its feet got crushed, it fell on top of the stone, and what happened to it? Turned to powder. That's what Jesus was referring to here in 21. The moment Jesus strikes a stone, I believe it's going to institute the millennial reign. Has that happened yet? Has Jesus come down yet and reigned for a thousand years on his earth and set up his kingdom here? No. But what does that look like? Go to Revelation chapter 19. This is a cool scene. And one day, for those of you who believe, you're going to get to witness this event. Revelation 19, let's go verse 11. The rider on a white horse. I saw in heaven, standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. Who is the only person in all of history that can be called Faithful and True as their title? It's not a mystery who this rider is, right? This is Jesus Christ. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horse and dressed in fine linen and white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. It's the same event that we're talking about when the stone comes to crush all the nations. This is another symbolic picture. What is the real picture of what's going to happen? Jesus Christ has come riding down a white horse. He's going to strike them all down. With what? The words from his mouth. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads on the wine presses with the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you can continue reading down. But Jesus Christ wipes out all authorities here on earth and sets up his kingdom. Satan is cast down to hell and bound up there with all his demons for a thousand years. And he reigns as a theocracy here on this earth in complete peace. He makes the rules. He makes the laws. And it is glorious. And guess what, believers? If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and your trust in Him, where will you be? What will be your vantage point when this event happens? He'll be right next to him. Well, he'll be behind him. Coming down. It is going to be awesome. We get to reign and live with Him forever. Which side of the story do you want to be on? I know which side of the story I want to be on. And it ain't on the side of the, I'm part of the statue being crushed side. And I will be blown away like chaff, just dust being blown out. Like, well, listen, when I want to clean my garage, I get my leaf blower, I just blow all the dust out and just just disappears, vanishes like it's nothing. I, that's not what I want my life to be. Now, I'll tell you what, the stone has already made an appearance here on this earth. 
Has a stone crushed a statue yet? I don't believe so. But we do know that the stone has made an appearance. This Jesus, the one whom you killed, is the stone the builders rejected in Acts 4.11. This Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. And he has become the cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. And salvation exists in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. See, thankfully the stone came first to save and not destroy. But he is coming back and he will destroy. What did mankind do with the stone the first time he came? Isaiah 53. For he grew up before them like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. See, nobody in this world gave anything to Jesus. They could care less. There was nothing special about him, they said. He's just a normal person. But to those who believe, the stone is what? Precious. This is from the Lord in Psalm 118. This is from the Lord and it is marvelous in our sight. To those of us who believe, see, Jesus Christ is not just some average day person who spewed out lies everywhere he went. He wasn't just some chaotic lunatic. He was the truth. He was the way. He was the life. He is all those things. And He is marvelous and He is precious in our sight. Is He really precious to you? I know we say those words. We read them in Scripture and you say, yeah, He's precious to me. But look at your everyday life. Do your actions portray to the world and to God your Father that He is truly precious to you? What have you done with the stone? Have you trusted the stone? Have you trusted Jesus Christ with your life and for protection? So this story that we just read is a portray of what's to come. I had the uh, the fun pleasure of sitting with my family Friday Friday night. Yeah, on Friday night the TBN app on your on a TBN channel, uh, some Christian broadcasting channel. Uh, Sights and Sounds this weekend is showing free their story of Noah. Their play of Noah, right? So you can go online. I think it's still good through tonight. Don't quote me on that. But through tonight, if you Google TVN, you can watch the story of Noah through a Sights and Sounds play for free. So we sat down as a whole family from 8 to 10 o'clock and we watched the play. And every time I watch one of their plays, it just brings to life the, the true account of, you know, their interpretation of what could have happened, right? Obviously, they add a lot into it because the account of Noah is like, you know, this long in the Bible and it turned into a two-hour play. But what could have really happened in his life portrayed through the movie just really got me thinking that God told Noah, a day is coming, you don't know when, but I'm going to judge this earth. I'm going to destroy all peoples and nations. And he told him how he was going to do it. He just didn't say when. He was pretty vivid in how he said. 
He, he told him pretty clearly all the descriptions of what was going to happen. And he told him how he could save himself. Did Noah believe? Yes. Instantaneously, I heard the voice of God. This is very clear. I, yes, Lord, I believe. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? 120 years. Like, that's, that's more than I'll ever live. He worked on that boat for 120 years. Do you think it was easy? I'm, just talk, I'm not talking about just the manual labor. I'm talking about the emotional, social struggle that he probably went through. The people thought he was nuts. Do you think the people in the world defied him and said, you're stupid, you shouldn't do that, I'm not going to help you, and it made it difficult for him? I'm sure they did. And he never once stopped. He saw it through for 120 years. He was faithful to that one voice he heard from God. Believing that what God said would happen. Believing that God said, I will judge this world. I mean, do you ever think that Noah woke up in the morning? Did I really hear God right? Did, did he really say build a boat? Like maybe year 75 going, I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe I'm getting old. Maybe I'm just forgetting things, right? God was like 300 years old. No, no, seriously, he was like 300 years old building this ark. He wouldn't know spring chicken. And he never once stopped. Because he believed that what God said would happen would come true. What happened to the people of the world? Do you think Noah shared his interaction with God with the world? I'm thoroughly convinced that he was bold. And that he shared God's imminent destruction of the world. And he shared with them how to get saved. He even, I'm sure he even said, hey, listen, come join me. And that ark is big enough to provide protection for all of you. Yet nobody believed. Only him, his wife, his three sons, and their wives joined him in the ark. Out of all the peoples in the world, eight people were saved. God is telling us today that there is an event coming when this world will be judged once again, and he will destroy it. He's already done it once. He says he's going to do it again. Guess what? It's going to happen again. And this time it's going to be certain, it's going to be final, it's going to be done. And he's going to burn it up with fire after. There ain't no coming back from that. But he said this thousands of years ago. Do you think he really meant it? Yes. Why is it taking so long? Noah, do you think Noah ever said, why is it taking so long? I bet you Noah was like, God, I, you know, uh, the boat's only half built. I know we're at year 80 right now, but can you please hold off a little bit more. I need some more time. You know, why is, gold, why is God holding off right now? Because God wants us to share this news about judgment coming with the world so that people can be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish. What are we doing right now to save people from this coming condemnation, this coming judgment? What are we doing? Are we actively caring? Like, I think Noah actively was like, you need, you got to get in this boat because everybody's going to die. you really got to join me. I think he was probably pretty aggressive in doing it at first for a long time. Until people just stopped listening to him. 
Have you been so aggressively going after people to try and save them from God's final judgment on this earth that they're tired of hearing it now? Do people even know that you believe that this is going to happen? There is a world that's going to hell. It's our job, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, to tell people and to share with them that the stone, the same stone that's going to judge the world, is the same stone that can save you. Let's close in prayer. Lord our God, we pray that you would use us as vessels to further your kingdom. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, that that verse will be fulfilled the day that you step foot here on this earth again and reign. That verse will come true. But Lord, we know that the day that verse comes true, that millions of people are going to die. That people will end up in hell forever. Lord, please help us to have the desire to see souls saved. Give us the boldness to speak your truth, to speak your love, to speak your great salvation plan that you've put forth in place. Lord, remind us daily of what you saved us from. Because some of us, Lord, you know, we've been saved for, for us it's been many, many years. And we forget about the excitement and we forget about like the, the impact that it had when we first believed. Lord, renew our faith in you. Renew our love in you. Renew our passion in you. So that we might go forth here, people that are changed, people that are on a mission to further your kingdom. Lord, that's, that's, that's a great calling. It's to share your good news with the world. May we do that this morning. Because we know, Lord, that you have promised a day of judgment. And everything you've always said has always come true. And the things that you have said about this future coming will come true. Lord, let us never forget. In your Son's name, we ask these things. Amen.